Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we are talking about the digital life. So many conversations are being had now about technology. Is it a vice? Is it a virtue? Or a combination of both? And it's my belief that if we use our digital technology well, it can improve our life. It can make us happier in a variety of ways, one of which we're going to talk about today with my first guest, Michael Weinberger. Michael comes to this very cool app that he developed through a journey. And oftentimes we find our way home to the very right place that we need to be born out of some challenging circumstances. And Michael was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 1994. And he has learned not only how to cope, but to thrive while living with this illness. Michael teaches individuals how to adjust their thoughts and to be mindful and grateful with everything and for everything in their life. Michael is the founder and creator of aplanforliving.com, a digital mindfulness manager and wellness platform. Everyone has problems, and Michael's approach helps people apply gratitude, spirituality, and mindfulness to their daily lives. And as we all know around here, a grateful heart is a happy heart. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Lisa. Uh, this, is, this is right up our alley over here. Let's talk about your formula for happiness, which is born out of your own journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. My uh, happiness formula is that gratitude and spirituality and mindfulness creates awareness, and awareness creates happiness. Sounds pretty simple, right? Somebody who is perhaps not as far along on the journey as you are, and and myself included, while I don't have the same diagnosis as you, I am a reformed, depressed person. Um, I have been challenged by that in my past, and I've discovered 
much of what you share is the path to maintaining sort of a sustainable level of well-being. Sure, sure. I find that, uh, you know, whether whether you have a diagnosis or not, uh, everyone kind of inter- interfaces or interacts with their life uh, from a certain perspective. And uh, if you choose to view life and, and interact with life with the perspective uh, where you catastrophize everything or worry or, or have anxiety about the outcomes of all your uh, actions, uh, you're unable to really find uh, inner peace and, and happiness. As somebody who is living with, living happily with bipolar, talk a little bit about the journey. What were some of the symptoms and, and what led you to seek treatment? I was, uh, sure, uh, back in uh, probably for my entire life, uh, I had erratic behavior. And so early on, uh, I was given medication. Uh, and if you're familiar, you know, treating attention deficit disorders treated with stimulants uh, someone that suffers with mania, the last thing they need in their life is additional stimulation. Uh, <laughs> so if, if you can imagine, I'm going a thousand miles an hour and the doctor said, let's step on the gas a little bit to see if we can get him to pay attention. And it didn't work. And so uh, when I finally came back after three months of mistreatment and getting thrown out of high school a period of, for a bunch of times, uh, came to the realization that maybe I have more of a, a manic type behavior uh, than an attention issue. Mm. Uh, and so they started to regulate my medication around the treatment of bipolar disorder. And so I'm diagnosed with bipolar disorder type 1, uh, which has more manic uh, tendencies or, or characteristics than depressive episodes, right? So 80% of my life is manic, 20% of my life is depression, if we could kind of pair it out that way. And so a lot of people think, man, you know, that's, that's the cool kind of bipolar disorder. <laughs> you know, who, who doesn't want to be manic 80% of the time? That's awesome. And, you know, so what I learned is, A, it's, it's not awesome. <laughs> B, uh, it's extremely exhausting. Uh, and C, uh, mania doesn't always come with, you know, smiles and, and jumping off of, uh, uh, jumping out of planes. Uh, mania comes with irritability and agitation and rage and anger issues uh, that make it very hard to interact in society. I, I love what you've just described because somebody who is uh, manic, and I was married to one of those kinds of guys, um, the the upside for that person and the people that love that person is that you guys are somewhat of an e-ticket until it gets a, a little bit out of control. You know, it can the highs are can be very lovely, very engaging and wonderful, and then it 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 stops. It stops being fun. It and it becomes very wearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the best way I could describe it is, you know, if, if you're having a drink, you know, one drink is good, three is entertaining, seven is fun, and 15, you're falling on your face uh, and, and, and you can't stand yourself. Uh, yeah. And so if I could explain mania, I start at one, I stop somewhere around 30, <laughs> right? <laughs> so if you could imagine the journey from like, Seven, which is probably pretty cool, to thirty, 
it's an exhausting 23 drinks. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. You know, so, uh, so I, I appreciate that. You are not only who you are as a man and, and, and the wonderful gifts that come with you, but you are also an entrepreneur, a husband, a father, a friend, a comedian, and you've got all of these other identities that uh, get to benefit from the good parts of your mania. Absolutely. You know, I think that uh, one of the biggest issues uh, anyone with mental illness faces is, is fighting stigma. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I used to introduce myself as being Michael and having bipolar disorder. And I really left out all those other traits. And so one of my missions, in, including the development of my app, is to show everyone that my diagnosis is one part of who I am, right? Yeah. And it's simply, oh, by the way, I happen to have bipolar disorder uh, the same way I don't stand up in front of you and say, hey, you know, by the way, I have poor dental habits and diabetes. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I never get up in front of a group of people and be like, listen, I had a couple root canals this year. Uh, I simply introduce myself. So I now start with, uh, I'm, you know, like you said, I'm a father. I have two phenomenal kids. Uh, I have a business that succeeded uh, hospitalizations of mine. Uh, and friends and family that support me uh, through this journey of, of life. Yeah. A Plan for Living is a pretty cool little digital app. You know, I, I went in there. I think it's very interesting um, the ways it can be shared, how you can track what's going on in your own life. And I think, you know, we've, we've sort of set up what the problem is, set up what the climate is when one is in mania. And what we all need when we're dealing with uh, mental illness or, or emotional challenges is a practice, is a routine and some structure for self-mastery, for self-care, and, and a way to show up in the world that keeps us on point. So talk a little bit about the, the app and some of the ways the features help us do that. Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned early on, uh, the app was founded on the basis uh, that happiness, uh, really looking at it backwards, comes from awareness. Because I don't believe happiness is all smiles and, and flowers and, and going out and dancing, right? I believe happiness is acceptance and peace and confidence and humility and experiencing life as you're meant to. And in order to find awareness, uh, I found that be finding out what I'm grateful for, finding out what I'm spiritually based in, and finding out what I'm mindful or, or how I can practice mindfulness during the day helped create the awareness, Yeah. right? It eliminated, it, it was truly coming from a place of humility. I was able to accept and, and acknowledge who I am. And if I can give you a quick aside, my uh, mother, uh, I never was able to go to school. I was, ever, I was never able to skip school because I was sick. She would wake up every day and say, you can't decide how you're feeling from the comfort of your own bed. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so as you can imagine, she's like, take a shower, go downstairs. I'll meet you downstairs. I get downstairs. She, I said, Mom, I'm still feeling lousy. She's like, great, we're going to go to school. And when you're done with school, tell me how you feel. And if I told her I felt lousy, she said, great, we're going to do our homework. We're going to go to sleep. We're going to start over tomorrow. 
And that was really the basis of the app where it asks you a simple question. How happy are you? And that question is really based on your own judgment of the day, right? Right. Subjective well-being. Exactly. Your two is not my two. You know, your five is not my five. Whatever it is, you're able to measure it yourself. And by waking up and asking yourself, how happy are you? It sets you on a different path, right? Because it doesn't give your brain the opportunity to say uh, how negative or, or what's not working for me today. It gives me the opportunity to say, how happy am I? It positively pulls me in the right direction. And by then working through the app, I'm able to uh, fill in my gratitude, my spirituality, and capture mindful events where I am uh, able to find a place of, of acceptance and peace. We're going to need to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to talk more about the process because it sounds like it takes one, the user, through a checklist of activities that can actually be a great launching pad for the day and then maintaining throughout the day. We're going to take a break. I want to give our listeners um, some information where to find you and the app. You can go to www.aplanforliving.com. On Facebook, that page is A Plan for Living. And on Twitter, that handle is at A Plan for Living. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's also kind, free, legal, available 24-7, 
And we are talking about the digital life, tools to make life positively happier. With my guest, Michael Weinberger, he is the developer and creator or founder and creator of aplanforliving.com, which is an app to help track our moods, our gratitude, our spirituality, awareness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, He developed this uh, for his use as a bipolar person to help with self-care and to help others who are in the same situation. But Michael, I can see how this app is just, it's great for anybody that wants to create a more uh, uh, ritualistic mindfulness practice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I found that uh, I created it out of my own necessity of having a diagnosis uh, because I've been blessed with a diagnosis. Uh, However, uh, what I found to be uniform is that everybody has problems, right? And so you don't need a diagnosis. Your diagnosis just happens to get you to therapy faster. Uh, However, uh, without a diagnosis, you still face day-to-day problems. You have bills, you have traffic, you have relationships, things that aren't working for you. And uh, a plan for living was created uh, to kind of start a genuine conversation with yourself about how you feel. And so, uh, as we had mentioned, uh, the first step in the process is to ask yourself, how happy are you? And the goal is to do this on a daily basis. It takes less than two minutes to fill out. You start by asking yourself, how happy are you? You're able to rate it on a scale of one to 10, and you move right into creating a gratitude list. And your gratitude list is anything you're grateful for. When I first started using the app, I struggled coming up with gratitudes, right? Mm -hmm. Many people might find difficulty because they don't even think of viewing the world that way, right? They take for granted everything they have and they don't really appreciate it. They just expect it to be given to them. And so for me, creating a gratitude list made me realize that I have a healthy family, a healthy kids and an amazing wife and a successful business and a house and my list goes on. I could create 30 items without even thinking about it. And once I start to create this gratitude list, it kind of puts me into a different place where I really get to appreciate and value what I've accomplished. And it's not a material things. Uh, it's anything in my life right? My relationship. Uh, I've actually evolved to the point where negative things in my life are on my gratitude list. I've gotten divorced. I've run out of money. I uh, had a a verbally and emotionally abusive father, right? And those people are on my list because A, I've learned what marriage looks like. Uh, B, my father taught me how not to treat other people, If I didn't spend this much time trying to find peace and humility, uh, I would never have put them on my list. So true. So true. Let's talk a little bit about gratitude just for a little second here because when someone is in the depth of depression, it is very hard to – Say, you know, I don't, I, I don't have anything to be grateful for. Life sucks. I just feels like there's a dark cloud over my head. I can't get out of bed, blah, 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 blah. And it's important to help people see as they begin this journey of mindfulness and becoming more aware and becoming more conscious that we really have more control than we, we give ourselves credit for. 
you begin to see that you can have gratitude for the fact that, A, you have a bed to sleep in. You know, B, there may be a roof over your head. C, there may be the smell of coffee, you know, that you can smell in the kitchen in the next room. And these little tiny things begin to shift the way we operate. But we need to get there first to be able to embrace it. Exactly right. And I, and I can actually tell people, so I, I, I used to run support groups uh, for individuals diagnosed with mood disorders and anxiety disorders. And uh, I would let them know, lying in bed feeling like life isn't worth living, where I've been many times, you can be grateful for that feeling. And, and let me explain to you this way. The fact that you're feeling it means you're alive. Yeah. The fact that you can feel. Right. The fact that you're aware of it means you can improve it. Right? You can't solve problems that you are not aware of. You can be grateful that you have these feelings and that you're alive to have them. So many people feel as though they have depression, they're broken. It needs to be fixed. I'm failing because I can't overcome this. Yeah. And I feel as though uh, for me, uh, the first part of gratitude is I have this feeling I'm okay. That's, a, that's an okay position to have. Yeah. Well, when we talk about feelings, you know, feelings, they are just feelings. It's like people say, oh, I have this feeling or I have this anxiety or I have this craving. I'm like, yeah, so that's it's, right. You know, it's like, and, right. And if you look <laughs> at my formula, awareness, we're trying to awareness leads to happiness, right? Right. Nothing else. Be aware of it. Be okay with it. And then start moving. You know, uh, other, uh, other things I tell people, especially those with depression or, or mood disorders, you can't change positions without stopping first. Right. And how do you stop? You identify that you have this feeling and you start to move forward and having that feeling and identifying, hey, you know, I have a family that supports me. I have medication. I have phone numbers to call. I have a job. I've felt this before and I've survived. Right. Yes, this is key. And especially when you take into account that the human mind has more than 70,000 thoughts a day. And the ones that we focus in on are the ones that tend to either give us grief or give us pleasure. That's right. The rest we discard. We let them pass through our brain like waves in the ocean. That's exactly right. And every, you know, I find that when uh, things are irritating you or getting stuck, you're, you're getting them stuck in you, Right. You have the power and, and ability to acknowledge them and let them go. We have the power, but what I, what, I, what I find with myself and what I see in my practice is that it, is, it does come down to the practice, that what we're talking about is a form of mental conditioning that is not dissimilar to dieting to release weight or training for a marathon or trying to build body mass, you know, working to build more muscle on our bodies. It is a process that requires this repetitive practice, proof positive in some small way that it's working, that then gives us the courage to stretch a little further and keep going. 
That's right. And and the people that I work with uh, at show me, and I have the, the the numbers over time. The more grateful you are, the you report a higher level of happiness. Yes, you report a higher level of engagement. And I have people that are skeptics, and after a short five days, they feel differently. They start to feel differently with the world they interact with. Uh, the way I describe spirituality uh, is that it is anything you are incapable of describing or controlling the outcome of. Hmm. And so uh, when I sit here and it, it's similar to having a feeling of depression, uh, I can't control whether it rains. I can't control whether um, I can't control the traffic that's going to be in front of me. I can't control my kid's behavior, no matter how hard I try. <laughs> I, I can't control how I interact with my wife. I could simply participate in this world as best I can. And so for me, spirituality is not religion. It's me being able to stand up in this world and say, okay, if you're out there, whatever you might be, please help me. And I give people a very simple example. Because most people have weighed themselves at some point in their life. If they've ever stood on a, sta a scale and paused for a minute and looked up or closed their eyes, they have been spiritual. Because the question I have to ask <laughs> you is, that. who are you talking to? You're talking to whatever you believe in. That's spirituality. And so for me, Spirituality is asking the universe to help in things you have no control or influ influence over, right? So if I were to couple gratitude and spirituality, so for spirituality, unfortunately, the only word to describe spirituality that's so misused is prayer. And when I use the word prayer, it's, it's not in a religious sense. It's the best word to describe, hey, universe, can you give me a hand with this? Can you make the scale go down when I weigh, get weighed? Can you make my kids behave? Can, you know, hopefully there's not traffic today. Those are the types of prayers I'm talking about. Okay. And I create this list. That allows me to take all the stresses and worries and anxieties I have for things I can't control and give it to somebody else. That's oh, how I. Interesting. Oh, very, very interesting. And this, and this can be found on a plan for living. Um, how to engage on this in, 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 in one's everyday spirituality through the app, which is very cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, very, very cool. We, we are out of time, and I don't want to cut you off. I just want to, be, before we close, just mention one more thing about the, your courage and your candor and, and, and having the conversation to remove the stigma for those of us who have been challenged with, with diagnoses and feelings like this and also add that when we experience depression, although it is not fun, we don't invite it into our lives. It's not something that we enjoy. There are constructive uses for us in that it tells us that something that we're doing in our life is not working and therefore we need to get busy finding the answer. And I think that that is the beauty 
of the adversity that each one of us is challenged with in our lives. And our, each of our stories is slightly different, but we, we, we all have these challenges. And a tool that I am now going to refer to my clients for their use is aplanforliving.com. On Facebook, that page is A Plan for Living. And on Twitter, connect with at A Plan for Living. Michael, thank you so much for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. So please reach out, connect with Michael Weinberger. Let him know what you're up to and how you find the app is working for you. I really salute you and congratulate you on the launch of this. Thank, thank you very much, Lisa. Have a great, have a great day. We're going to go to break. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that's a promise. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about redesigning our lives, solutions for taming and changing our habits. And my next guest is probably a rock star in this way. She is Gretchen Rubin, the author of several books, including the blockbuster New York Times bestsellers, Better Than Before, The Happiness Project, and Happier at Home. She has an enormous readership both in print and online, and her books have sold more than 2 million copies worldwide. On her popular weekly award-winning podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, she discusses good habits and happiness with her sister, Elizabeth Kraft. She recently won the 2016 Academy of Podcasters Beth Best Health and Fitness Podcast. Gretchen Rubin started her career in law and was clerking for Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she realized she wanted to be a writer. And I'm so glad you did, Gretchen. She lives in New York City with her husband and two daughters. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's great to be talking to you today. Yes. Let's talk about the secret to changing our habits or really the secret to changing self. Well, I think that it all comes down to one thing, which is self-knowledge. And this is not new. Um, uh, know thyself is know thyself. <laughs> the temple of Apollo at Delphi. So this goes back thousands of years. 
but but I saw this especially starkly in the in my most recent um, book uh, about habits because what I found was that over and over, people, including the like preeminent experts in habits, were we're on the hunt for the perfect habit. Well, these are the five habits of highly effective people. And oh, if you would look at these great artists, they had all had these uh, these habits in common. And if you would just do these three things, if you would just start small, if you would just do it first thing in the morning, if you would just do it for 30 days, if you would just give yourself a cheat day, well, that's going to be the answer. And what I realized is there is no magic one-size-fits-all solution because it just depends because the kind of thing that works for you might not work for me. It might be the very opposite of what works for me. And so we all have to begin by knowing ourselves, and then we can do a much better job of setting things up in a way that's going to allow us um, to meet our aims. Give us a personal example, because I know that oh. you quit something yeah. um, <laughs> that most of us would love to quit. So one of the things that um, was like a big revelation to me, because um, so in the in the book, I identify 21 strategies that people can use to make or break their habits. And 21 may sound like a lot, but it's good because some work for you sometimes, but not other times it, it, during your life and some uh, work for some people and not others. And so one of the strategies that works really, really well for me, but is not a universal strategy is the strategy of abstaining. And what I learned about myself, and it turns out this is true of many people, is that for abstainers, they do much better when they're facing a strong temptation by giving that thing up altogether. It's much easier to eat no French fries than to eat a few French fries. It's I have an incredible sweet tooth. So for me, it's I can't have one cookie. I can't have half a dish of ice cream. I can have none, and that is not hard for me. But once I start, I'm going to go all the way. <laughs> um, but moderators are people who, who get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. So they do better when they have it a little bit or sometimes. And I've had was always my whole life mystified by the people who keep one bar of fine chocolate in their desk drawer. And every day or two, they just have one square of fine chocolate and that's all they need. And they will often say to you, all you need to do to master your sweet tooth is just keep a bar of fine chocolate and have a like have a bite and that'll just satisfy you. That is true for moderators. It's absolutely not true for abstainers. We do so much better when we give things up altogether. So I quit I'm I quit sugar but basically I went entirely low carb. So there's just this giant number of things that I abstain from and for me that's easier. Um, and again, for some people, that would not be the right solution. But for me, it's easier. And people say, well, it's easy for you to not eat sugar because you've got so much self-control. I'm like, I don't have enough self-control to eat a little bit of sugar. It's easier for me to have none. Um, but we're often taught that we should be able to eat one brownie. We should be able to eat um, half a dish of ice cream. We should be able to walk into um, the break room at work and just have one cookie. And, um, but for some people that's harder. Well, I mean, we should do a lot of things, you know, we should yes. be able to self-regulate. We should be able to tolerate our own distress and discomfort. And yet we don't. Well, and I think that's always a tip off when I find myself saying you should be able to, or when I hear other people saying you should be able to, that's always a huge red flag to me because what it means, because why should you be able to set it up? So you don't have to do that. It's like, well, if it's important to you to run, you should be able to get up and, and exercise before, before, uh, work. Well, 
I'm a night person, perhaps. And like, I actually, personally, I am a morning person, but for night people, I've seen this over and over. They're at their most productive, creative, and energetic much later in the day. It's very hard for them to get going in the morning. The idea that they're going to get up early and exercise or, or work on their novel or, or, or practice the guitar, no, they're setting themselves up for failure because that's, that is not a good peak time for them. They do much better with those kind of habits when they set it up later. It's not, they should be able to, what does it matter what you should be able to, that's what's going to work for them. Um, or, you know, um, there's just many ways where, because often when we say we should be able to, we're reflecting our own experience. If I say to somebody, well, you should be able to just quit sugar. That's easier. That's because it's true for me. So it's not that it's wrong. It's just that it's not necessarily a universal truth of human nature. Very yeah. few things are. Well, and then and then the should, you know, I should yep. be able to do thus and so really um, has a little flavor of blame and shame. You know, then we start to feel badly about ourselves and then it, it stymies us even further and it's even harder to get going to make any shifts. Well, that is such an important point. And one of the things that the research really shows is that a lot of times people assume that if they kind of heap themselves with, with blame and, and guilt, that they will somehow energize themselves to do a better job. You know, if I really beat myself up for having, you know, broken my good habit, well, that's just going to make me all the more likely to stick to it. But in fact, that is not the case. And then when you look at people who get back in the saddle, it's the people who show compassion to themselves, who say, well, that wasn't my best day, or well, I learned that lesson the hard way, or, you know, I'm never going to go to a holiday party on an empty stomach again. And they feel like, okay, well, everybody's done it, and I'll do a better job tomorrow. People who really make themselves feel worse often ironically turn to the very bad habit for comfort. So women who worry about their weight eat to make themselves feel better. People who have problems with gambling, who are anxious about money, what do they do to make themselves feel better? They gamble. And so often making yourself feel worse just makes it harder and harder and harder to reject whatever that negative habit is. So we, so we, you're absolutely right. We're much better to just what I think is, you know, set things up to really and really analyze the situation, the kind of person you are when you've succeeded in the past, set things up to really help yourself succeed. It's easier to change your surroundings than yourself. Give yourself the best shot and then go easy on yourself. Try to do your best. But, you know, tomorrow's always another day. I love what you say. Go easy on yourself and try to do your best. So alongside with know thyself probably should be love thyself. Yeah, but you know, here's the thing I would say is I think sometimes, especially with habits, people feel, and this gets into this, my, I, I created this personality framework uh, when I divided all people into four categories that had to do with how they form habits and also much more. And when I've, what I've concluded is that often when people want to do a better job with their habits, they try to kind of pump themselves up from the inside. Like they try to say like, well, I've got to love myself. I've got to make myself the priority. I've got to work on my self-esteem. I've got to put myself first. Well, that really isn't an effective way to do it. It's not that you're not going to really change your habits by trying to work on your inner emotional state, I don't think. I think it's much more direct to work on circumstances and outer conditions that are directly within your control. That just is more direct. Now, in my framework, I divide people into upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And obliger is a tendency, because these are called the four tendencies. 
um, there is the, the obliger tendency is one where they they are able to meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And they also often will assume that it is because they are sacrificing or somehow um, not putting themselves first or treating themselves differently. I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's about outer accountability. To me, obliger is really they, what they respond to is outer accountability. If they need to meet an inner expectation, what they need is outer accountability. That is the key thing. If you if you say to yourself, I, I never miss a work deadline, I'm never late picking up carpool, but I can't go, I can't work on my novel in my free time, that's the obliger tendency. If you say, well, when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice, but I can't go running now, that's obliger. Because when you had a team and a coach waiting for you, you had no trouble, but when you're running on your own, you struggle. The answer for that is not to say, well, I must not be running because I don't put myself first or I don't love myself or because I'm always doing things for other people. The thing is like, okay, well, run with somebody else who's going to be annoyed if you don't go or run with your dog who's going to pee all over the house if they don't go out or <laughs> sign up for a class where the teacher, the, the trainer is going to charge you if you don't show up or go with a friend um, who is going to be anxious at the gym if you're not there to keep them company or, you know, do a 5K where you're raising money for a, uh, a charity that's really important to you where you would hate to like not go through with it. Think of your role model to be a, 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 an example of healthy behavior and consistent um, and consistent um, following through of your goals to your children. All of those are systems of outer accountability that obligers, once that's plugged in, obligers have no trouble. But they often try to get to it emotionally, but it's really, an, it's, when I look at it, it's, it's, it's a question of outer accountability. And I can go through the four, pers- I kind of jumped ahead, and maybe I should go through my four, my four personality um, types. We are going to jump on a break. And when okay. we come back, I would love to do that. But I also want to just challenge you for one little tiny minute here about yep. the concept of self-love. And, and we'll continue after the break. And okay. really what I mean by that is not sort of a group hug, new age, you know, kumbaya theory of, oh, you must love yourself and then you can change your habits. I'm talking about just being nice to yourself. You know, we're, we're, we're nicer to the dry cleaning 100%. lady than we are to ourselves. Let's, let's yeah. go to a break. And then I want to continue this because yes. I think this Very is really important. important. Very book, important point. The yes, book yes, is, yes. my guest is Gretchen Rubin. The book is Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. And you can find her at GretchenRubin.com, on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, on Facebook at Gretchen Rubin, and on Pinterest for my pinners out there at Gretchen Rubin. Here comes the tunes and we will be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org.
Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about designing better lives, really what it takes to change our habits. And my guest today is Gretchen Rubin, the author of several books, but her most recent being Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives. Gretchen, before we went out to break, we touched upon this concept of love and not needing, you know, to have love yourself and self having good self-esteem in order to change. And I agree with you on the one hand, but on the other, this this idea of, you know, being kind and gentle to ourselves as we embark on change is critical to the success of it. No, I, you, you make an excellent point. I'm so glad you brought up that distinction because, because it, it's absolutely true. And in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a key part of my framework. So there are 21 strategies to have a change, as I mentioned. And one of the strategies, and certainly the most fun strategy, is the strategy of treats. And the strategy of treats goes exactly to what you're talking about. And the idea of treats is that we need to load ourselves with healthy treats, treats because that's what makes us feel cared for and comforted and energized. And as we try to keep our good habits and as we're just going through our day, we're constantly like being drained. We have to make decisions. We have to use our self-mastery. And that's hard. And treats make us feel, you know, we're like cell phones getting plugged into the wall when we give ourselves treats. And a treat is different from a reward because sometimes, you know, um, Elizabeth and I on my on the podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, we talked about treats. And a, a couple of people emailed me and said something like, well, I, I, I so believe in treats. Every time I go for a run, I give myself a treat. And I immediately wrote back and was like, no, 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 no. That's a reward. <laughs> a reward is something that you earn or deserve. A treat you get just because you want it. You just like it and you just get it. And so it's more indulgent. It feels kinder. You don't have to work for it. You know, this is just something that you get. And it's really important to have a long list of things that when you feel like you need to do a little something for yourself, there's something you can reach for, whether that's and everyone's is different. Like some people love taking a bubble bath. I would never use that as a treat for myself. My husband does crossword puzzles. I don't like crossword puzzles. You know, um, people have all different kinds of treats. Um, like, uh, browsing in a beautiful store and not even buying anything, but just looking. Um, I have, you know, uh, getting new music off of iTunes. I have a friend who works every day and her treat is that she gets her whole family off for school and work and then she gets back into bed fully dressed before she goes into the office. And she's like, it's the best part of my day is just lying there in the quiet. So that's her treat. Um, Now, there are three kinds of treats that often become unhealthy treats because you don't want to do something to make yourself feel better that in the end is just going to make you feel worse. And those are the big three that everybody knows eating and drinking, shopping, and screen time. For some people, they can be healthy treats, but for many people, they can become unhealthy treats. And so uh, treats yeah. are a way to give yourself that, that sense of taking care of yourself that you were talking about. What's your um, favorite, favorite treat? 
My favorite treat is to go to the library. I love to go to the library because I love books. And so I love going to bookstores too. But the thing about bookstores is like, if you're actually buying books, it's kind of like you have to, you like, it's a little bit more taxing because you have to really think, do, am I really going to read this book? And you know, whatever. But in the library, I'm like, if it looks interesting, if I just like the cover, I just throw it in my basket. You know what I mean? I'll just, I'll check out anything. I'm embarrassed to say how happy my, my library went from uh, a 10 book limit to a 20 book limit. This is like Ooh. made a, this was like a serious, this was a serious boost in my life. So for me, that's a treat. Now for most people that would not be a treat. Like for me, it's a block for my house. I go all the time. I love the, you know, everything about it um, is a treat for me, but it's not most people's treats. Um, and then other people, it's like, Oh, going for a long bike ride. I wouldn't go on a long bike ride for a treat. It's not that it's not. But, and again, you don't want to be saying you should be able to, you know, somebody's like, oh, yoga should be your treat. And I'm like, <laughs> I do yoga, but it is not my treat. For you, it could be a treat. It is it's, my treat. <laughs> it is your treat. But see, that's the thing. And like somebody who said, I, I can't even tell you um, how many people have told me that ironing is their treat. There's this small, passionate group of people who, who love to iron. Who knew? Um, so, but we all want to have this list of things. Like if I feel like, cause we all know that feeling. And that's a lot of times when the bad habits kick in, this is when you do the impulse buying, when you have that extra brownie, when you have that extra glass of wine, which is, I need it. I want it. I deserve it. After the day I've had, I've got to have this. So have something that is good for you. Like I'm also obsessed with perfume. I love perfume, smells of all kinds, not even perfumes, but any kind of smell and have all kinds of weird samples and like oils and stuff. You, I mean, I got a lot of smells and I'll just go <laughs> smell something. And a lot of things going happen. on over there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, um, and for me again, it's like, it's such a it's color. I've recently become obsessed with color and I, I checked out all these books from the library. I have all this stuff related to color. And for me, it's just, it's just delicious. Mm. Um, and I, but I think for a lot of adults, especially you kind of have to work to figure out, well, what is on my list? Well, you know, you just said something about those the, the, the treat versus reward. And, and when we say to ourselves, you know, I, ugh, the day that I have had, I, you know, I should, I should be able to reward myself. And it goes back into that should, which then starts the cycle of the self-criticism, the loathing when, when the next day we wake up and we go, oh, why do we do that? So I think this is really important. And I love your distinction between treat and reward. So treat yourself is yes. really what we're looking at. <laughs> no, there's a, there's an, a, a great uh, scene in Parks and Recreation where Tom and Donna have, they have the annual day of treat yourself and they just treat themselves all day long. I'm like, I love it. That is a great idea. We should have like national treat yourself day because people need their treats. They really do because, you know, when we give more to ourselves, we can ask more from ourselves. And when you give yourself treats, um, then you don't feel like, well, um, I, and, and then as you say, when it's a reward, then you're always in this position of having to earn it. And then that very easily builds resentment and a feeling of like being put upon or, or burned out and a treat. You just like, I just want it. That's all the justification that you need. Let's make a national treat yourself day. Yes. yes. You and me with your sister. I'm serious. Yeah, excellent. Treat yourself. Excellent. That Let's would be funny. That would be so fun. What would the day be? We have to think of like, what would be the right day? A totally random. Yeah. Maybe like, in February or something when everybody's feeling kind of low. Yeah. Yeah. Self day. Oh, funny, 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 funny. All right. We're going to talk about that offline, but back to the habits, you know, why should we even bother <laughs> to change that? I think that's a good question. 
Oh, that's that's an excellent question. Um, and uh, because we all have a lot of ways to spend our time, energy, or money, so why do you fuss with your habits? Well, it turns out that about 40% of everyday life is shaped by habits. So if you have habits that work for you, you're just much more likely to be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative. And if you have habits that don't work for you, it's just going to be a much bigger struggle. And the reason that habits are so helpful is that they make behaviors automatic. So you don't have to make decisions. You don't have to use self-control. And making decisions and using self-control are very draining. So back to this idea of quitting sugar, it used to be very, very difficult for me because I'd be like, well, I'm walking into a store and they have free bite-sized candy. Can I have one? Can I have two? Can I have three? Oh, here I am at a friend's house and she's got a plate of cookies. Can I have one? Can I have two? Can I have three? I was so good yesterday. I'm going to be so good tomorrow. It's my birthday. It's raining. You know, this was just like this constant buzz in my head. It was very boring and it was very exhausting. And now I have no decisions to make. I have no self-control to use because it's like, am I going to have this? No, I'm not because I don't eat sugar. Are you going to eat this? No, I'm not. Oh, I made this especially for you. Are you going to make it? Are you going to eat it? Oh, I'm sorry. No. Don't, did you forget that I don't eat sugar? You know, and, and, um, and it's just com- com- very freeing. Um, what time do you get up in the morning? You get up at 630. What do you go to yoga? Yes, I do. Because on Saturday morning I, I go. Um, and getting out of that decision making because I think we've all been in situations where like you could spend your entire day like should I go to the gym yeah you know I should go to the gym but I don't really feel like going to the gym well maybe I'll go after lunch yeah I think I'll go after lunch oh it's after lunch but now it's so close to the end of the day do I feel like going to the gym well maybe I'll feel like going to the gym tomorrow you could spend your whole day fussing about it and never go to the gym and end up exhausted whereas if you're just like I go to the gym on Thursdays at 8.30, you know, a.m. I just go. I don't even think about it. And, and a lot of times, people, and I'm sure you hear all this all the time, too. People are like, well, I want to go through my day making healthy choices. And I'm like, no, you don't. Because every choice is the opportunity to make the wrong choice. Choose once. Yeah. And then yeah. stop choosing. Commit. Commit, commit to a choice. You know, I want to. I want to just add one thing here because I I don't think people realize how many decisions the average brain makes in a day. Which I think research it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Well, it's either two or four hundred food decisions a day, and that's just food. Well, I'm I'm getting here on my Jugle search. Um, 35,000 plus for the average adult and young children make only about 3,000. And those are the ones that we, you know, combining the ones that we don't think about and the ones we do think about. So I'm with you, sister, about like removing some of the guesswork out of this decision making, because that's a lot for a brain to handle. It, it is a lot and it's exhausting and, um, you know, it's just like, you don't, do you, when you, do you say to yourself, like, Am I going to brush my teeth today? I think I should brush my teeth today or I've been so good. I deserve a day off. Or I'm going to be so good starting in January. It doesn't matter if I brush my teeth today or, well, if I brush my teeth now, I get a scone later. I mean, you just do it. And right. it's just, it's over before you've registered it, you, the way you put on your seatbelt. Um, now, some habits, it's true, are just more complex. Going to the gym is more complex than wearing a seatbelt. Absolutely, 100%. And in the book, I talk a lot about how you handle that. What do you do with with a habit that can't be completely automatic because it has to change parts of day or you travel a lot or there's um, or there are other people that you have to take into account? Um, that those are challenges. Um, it's not always as easy as the seatbelt, but you want to set yourself up to make these things as automatic as you can. 
we, you and I have been so automatic and having so much fun that we are out of time. So that just means one thing. We have to do it again. Excellent. I'd love <laughs> to do it again. Me too. Uh, I want to give our listeners um, your go-to places. The book is Better Than Before, Mastering the Habits of Our Everyday Lives by my guest and author Gretchen Rubin. You can find her at GretchenRubin.com, on Twitter at Gretchen Rubin, on Facebook at Gretchen Rubin, and for our pinners out there on Pinterest, Gretchen Rubin is the handle for that. And her podcast, which she hosts with her sister, um, Elizabeth Kraft, is Happier with Gretchen Rubin, co-hosted once again with Elizabeth Kraft. And Gretchen, thank you so much. I have a few parting thoughts that I'd love to share. And these are, happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my wonderful guests today, Michael Weinberger and Gretchen Rubin, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with TogiNet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.